Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 337. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for the new monthly Slow Flowers Journal, which you can find in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 337. It's wonderful to turn the page post-Valentine's Day and focus on soon-to-arrive spring. When I visited today's guest just last week, her front garden was filled with a border of gorgeous hellebores in full bloom, and lots of the trees were already budding and ready to unfurl their leaves. Despite a chilly and wet climate here in Seattle, we still see sections of gorgeous blue sky behind the parting clouds, and the always welcome rare ray of sunshine cheers our spirits. The place I visited is called Fortunate Orchard, and it is a home, floral studio, and garden situated in a quiet area of South Seattle. Owner and lead designer Hannah Morgan holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in one hand and a pair of pruning shears in the other. Her designs are deeply rooted in the seasons of the Pacific Northwest, and she sources primarily from the West Coast, often from the Fortunate Orchard Garden, steps away from her work table. Using blooms and branches grown nearby ensures that her designs are unique, of this place, and a bit wild. She's built a team of makers and doers who contribute their own expertise to each project, bringing creative and ambitious designs to fruition for events large and small. Fortunate Orchard collaborates with clients who exalt in the natural world and who embrace unorthodox, unexpected beauty. Hannah has a keen understanding of the types of floral installations required by restaurants and eateries, which is how she actually caught my attention a few years back when Bruce and I enjoyed an anniversary meal at Lark, one of the Pacific Northwest's premier artisan-focused restaurants. As you'll hear us discuss, Hannah was the restaurant's accidental florist, a friend of the owner's who was tapped to create arrangements for a special event. She found herself filling large vases with branches for Lark's hostess table and elsewhere throughout the restaurant. She was asked to do so in part because everyone there knew of her amazing and eclectic city garden. Three years later, Hannah is creating a distinct niche for herself, and I'm so pleased we were able to sit down at her kitchen table, share a cup of tea, and talk flowers, floral design, and developing one's aesthetic and style. Please visit DebraPrinzing.com to see photos of Hannah and her work, as well as to watch a video interview I conducted with her last year at the Slow Flowers Creative Workshop held with Ann Bradfield of Fluorescence and documentary videographer Jason Miller. You'll also social find- places so you can follow along as the seasons unfold for Fortunate Orchard.
Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm delighted today to introduce Hannah Morgan, owner of Fortunate Orchard here in Seattle. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Thanks for hosting me for tea in your kitchen. Oh, I'm so happy you came. This is thrilling. It's going to be so fun. It is fun, and it's great that it's after Valentine's Day. I don't know how busy you were for Valentine's Day. I did not do much for Valentine's Day. A couple of little things, but uh, I had done the I Do Soda wedding show the weekend before, so I decided I needed to make my choices, and oh. I chose the wedding show. Oh, yeah. So, okay, so let's describe your business and... Um, I'd give everyone a snapshot of Fortunate Orchard and then why were you doing the Soto I Do Wedding Show? Because yeah. obviously weddings factor in your business. Yeah, so Fortunate Orchard I started about two years ago and I do weekly accounts, I do weddings, uh, and I use all U.S. grown flowers. A lot comes from my own garden, both uh, in the summer blooms and then in the winter pods and branches and everything I can find. I know but, I was eyeing your front yard when I came in. Yeah. You got some great stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I've been building it for the last 15 years and so it's fun to use stuff that you don't find uh, you know typically in floral yeah. floral arrangements. So, yeah. Did your garden passion of when you say 15 years did that kind of lead you into floral? I know we're jumping ahead, but... Um. Yeah, I think so for sure. I um, always have customized bouquets that my husband or someone lovely would give me by, you know, messing them up, uh, <laughs> t- taking them apart, putting them back together with funky things from my garden. And, and that's my mother's always done that too, actually. So, uh, so yeah, but I never thought of it as floristry at mm-hmm. all. It was just something I did that was fun and, you know, to personalize a arrangement. I don't want um, something coming straight out of the grocery cooler sitting in a vase on my on my dining room table. Yeah. So yeah. And you then, had to put your own imprint on it. Yeah. I, love I that. did. And it wasn't conscious, but then um, I started doing flowers for my friend's restaurant because I had this garden and it was opening day and they needed a, a bouquet on their entryway and I went to a local florist and got some lovely stems but when I put them in the vase they just fell to the bottom it was like way too little floral material so I was like okay I'll come back with more stuff so I came to my yard and I got some dogwood and I got some you know quince branches and and everyone loved it so Kelly Ronan, one of the owners of Lark, which is the restaurant I'm talking about, said, do you want to just keep doing that? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Wow. Was, so, so, so Lark was like your first client? They were. They're dear friends of mine, and they were my first client. But I also was working for them doing social media and helping them with newsletters and things like that. And they're my friends, so I was always around anyway. So yeah. it started very organically. And then um, I had people telling me like customers are asking who does our flowers you should just like make up a gmail account and put a card out I was like I'm not a florist so I don't think so well wait a minute that's how I found you I know you're a total part of my origin story I love this so Bruce and I went to Lark I think for some special occasion like an anniversary and the minute I walked in I saw this beautiful uh tallish arrangement on a small table like right by the hostess Mm -hmm. station and I was like I said to Bruce somebody here is going to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market because I recognize some of this ding, product. Ding, ding. Yeah. And then I asked them, I, I took a photo and I posted it and tagged the restaurant. And then I, I asked them, who does the flowers? And um, they said, oh, well, one of our one of our staff members or something like that. Okay. And then later, I think you and I met at the North, at the, at the Growers event. Market. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I came in, uh, I did shop at the Growers Market and I was starting to understand 
you know, more about the actual logistics that go into flower arranging, I was beginning to take it a little more seriously. And I think it was Molly Sadowski, the manager, said, Deborah Prinzing tagged you on a photo. Nice work. And I was like, who's Deborah Prinzing? What? What's going on? And then I remember still looking it up on, like, slow flowers. And I said to my husband, this is a thing. Oh, my gosh, look. There's, like, a whole community of people. It was, like, this major moment for me. It really wow. was. That was, like, two or three years ago, right? Yeah, it was probably three years ago. But you know what? Um, we... This neighborhood that you live in is the one that I used to live in. And mm-hmm. I think my proximity and this neighborhood's proximity to the Seattle Growers Market is one reason why I became so ritualistic mm-hmm. and, and habitual about uh, all my projects. Because what's like three miles from the totally. market, right? Ten minutes, yeah. Um, so your na- business name is Fortunate Orchard. You really are fortunate. I know. <laughs> you've got your garden, but you've got this... V- a vast resource. Absolutely. Yeah. I've said more than once to the women at the market, if you guys were not here, I would not be in this industry. Right. Because I wouldn't have the product. Right. And uh, so much of every design, I would say 50% plus, has to do with the amazing product that you mm-hmm. can get. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I look on Instagram and I see somebody who's off in Paris or New York and they're holding some beautiful, you know, flower from Japan or Europe or the Netherlands, I think, well, in about six weeks, I'm going to have that grown, you know, by everyday flowers, you know, right, uh, you know, an hour away. It's amazing. At my fingertips. Totally. That's a really good point. Yeah, the product is is half of the battle. So when you started designing for Lark, you pretty much... You didn't consider yourself a florist, so you didn't really know the wholesale scenes. You were Mm -hmm. cutting out of your own garden or just buying, what, like from a like a flower shop or you for a few weeks I bought from a flower shop mm-hmm. but and then Kelly Ronan the owner one of the owners at Lark said well we have like an account down at this market because someone mm-hmm. I guess I've been doing this for them in the oh past. wow so then she sent me to the Seattle growers market oh wow and then yeah. you really went crazy yeah wow and so um that that has evolved because like you said you kept you kept objecting and saying I'm not a florist uh-huh. but what happened? Like, when yeah. did the, when did it become officially a business that you named and uh, branded? It happened very quickly. It seems so strange to me that it was only a few years ago because I feel like I'm inhabiting this world so fully now. And you I are. I love it. I'm like, is this real? Am I making a living doing this? This That's is amazing. So neat. But I love it. I, I two years ago, it'll be two years in April okay. that I became official, and I, you know, got a, a snazzy logo and. And business cards, and started hitting the streets, thinking, "Well, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have more clients than just Lark. Lark right. was a great safe space to kind of cultivate my uh, ideas about how I wanted mm-hmm. to design and Your to, aesthetic. Yeah, and to have those moments where you put something in a vase, and you know, when you're working in a restaurant or any sort of business where that's open for seven days, it has to look good for seven days. So, uh, you know figuring out, tinkering to my system on how I'm going to make things look good for a full week. So you're literally, literally not going in there every day and no. tweaking it. Right. Yeah, no. Right. I mean, no. that's not efficient. No. No. Although, you know, they're lovely and I would love to see them daily, but yeah. no, yeah. I go twice a week. So. Yeah. That's interesting. I had a conversation a lot like that with Max Gill mm-hmm. about Chez Panisse because he lives near the restaurant and he could be in there every day and maybe he is some weeks, but that's that's a little bit different than yeah. uh, you want to, you don't want to condition your clients to think that you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
Before we go further, I want to talk about your business name, Fortunate Orchard. Is that like a Chinese proverb or something? I love that. Oh, thank but I don't you. Know what it, I know what the orchard is, but you'll explain that. Yeah. yeah. So I live on Orchard Terrace. That's our, our address. And so um, when we moved here, over our garage, before we gained possession of the house, the previous owners had a sign that said, Fortunate Orchard. Mm. I don't know what it referred to, but we started calling our house Fortunate Orchard, even though they took the sign, sadly, with them when they left. But uh, so we've always kind of, that's been our estate name, which is kind of a wink because our estate is a 900 square foot house on a city (laughs) lot. But yeah, so uh, when I started this business and I was using my garden so much for inspiration and for product, I wanted the name to be rooted in this place mm-hmm. because this my business couldn't exist without this garden mm-hmm. that I've worked on for mm-hmm. so many years. So it seems apt. Yeah, it's wonderful. Thank and you. Do people ask you what it means or where you know sometimes sometimes I get fortunate orchid. Oh. <laughs> well you'll take orchids too, I'm sure. I know. But yeah, no, people usually they, they like the they like the ring to it, so that felt like I yeah. hit on something. Yeah, it, I think so too, and it's uh, it's lovely. Um, Thank you. Okay, so how did you find clients when you printed those cards and got the snazzy logo and started working your network? Yeah. What was your approach? Well, I did some cold calling. I did initially emailing with photographs and just saying to restaurants primarily because mm-hmm. I felt like that's really like a niche that I wanted to develop. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm Hannah, this is my work. I would love to work with you and I got a couple of clients that way, which was wonderful. Wow. I still have them. They've been lovely. And having that association with a well-known, a well-regarded kind of locally focused restaurant mm-hmm. kind of under gave you some credibility. I think that's true. Yeah. yeah, I was really lucky that I was able to use Lark as a reference yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, Cuz they're really well respected here and it and it lent me a certain air of you know authority and kind of like a little bit progressive mm-hmm. uh I wouldn't say they're fashion forward but like this little bit of a you know cutting edge in terms of their they always are sourcing really innovative yeah. uh, ingredients mm-hmm. and so why wouldn't they do that with their flowers mm-hmm. too yeah. yeah and actually when Max Gill came and spoke at the wholesale growers market I went and I struck up a little conversation with him after his talk because I was so inspired. I didn't realize that Chez Panisse had a florist and that they had had a florist for years. I I was like, of course they do. And then my friend JM, who's another one of the owners of Lark, along with her husband, John Sundstrom, who's the chef, JM was saying, oh, well, you know, in France, every restaurant has fresh flowers. Like that's... I haven't been there yet, but yeah, and so just realizing, like, oh, this is something that I can cultivate in the minds of business owners. Like, this is something that you can have that's really special and elegant that complements your food, doesn't detract from the space, but really just enhances what yeah. you guys are already offering. Well, and it reflects the brand, which mm-hmm. it sounds like you have background in social media and marketing, so you can speak that language if mm-hmm. you have to. Mm-hmm. So um, you. Uh, did you start out approaching, um, you got some business clients, did you start out wanting to do weddings and events, or how did or how did that part of the facet of the business take off? Yeah, well, I was a little hesitant about weddings. I think it just felt like a lot of emotional um, content. <laughs> Drama? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I love doing restaurants is my total diva personality, which... 
uh, my friend Ann Bradfield from Fluorescence and I always are laughing about like, let it go, Hannah. Sometimes you just have to do something to make someone else happy. Ah, uh, I see. I love restaurants. You just walk in with what you have and generally speaking, as long as it's not very fragrant and it's going to stay alive, they welcome it. They say, oh, that's so nice. And you're then, like the hero. Yeah, you get to do what you want and work with whatever you run into at the market that's amazing. And so I was a little um, nervous about with weddings in particular, trying to adhere to my own business ethos of using locally sourced flowers and making that uh, gel with a bride who might have a very particular idea of what they want Mm -hmm. and being reticent about you know, both wanting to stay true to my ideals, so to speak, but also wanting her to be happy and to love what she has. And I think it just takes a certain type of bride, you know? Mm -hmm. And so actually my first wedding was two years ago, a woman who works at my daughter's school who was just very laid back and just really wanted to work with someone she knew. Mm -hmm. And we got along and that was for her the most primary thing. She just wanted white flowers any flowers. Wow. And That's was, a good first one. Isn't she it? was lovely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. Her name's Molly. <laughs> she was marvelous. And so that was, and that was a great experience. I loved being part of that whole process for her and it was really fun. And Anne taught me how to make boutonnieres and, you know, I was like, come off. This you is kinda, great. You kind of tried out your, your process too. Like yeah. how would I, how would I do this how did I do it and how would I change it? Right. What I liked, what I didn't like. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Yeah. How am I going to source, you know, and try to anticipate what is coming? Because that's the whole other side of the business that I really didn't have experience yeah. with at that point. Sourcing things, making sure they're consistent, making sure that you're going to get the right amount. You know, that's a whole other ball of wax. Pricing. Compared to pricing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. And, you know, that was a whole other business learning process, which I did over the course of that first year. Um, So that was really fun. And then the second year, last summer, I got all of my weddings, except for one wedding was a friend of mine, Uh but everyone else was connected to my daughter's school, which is such an interesting thing because it just makes you really realize the value of community. Uh, Sure. All of my business from the restaurant accounts to the... um, to the weddings, had to other random jobs that I've gotten through doing classes through um, the Field Trip Society, mm-hmm. which is an organization I do classes for a lot. That was started by my friend Cambria oh, Cox. Wow! I've gotten lots of business just through clients that have taken classes from me. So there are all of these avenues that I've taken, but I was reflecting on that as I was preparing to talk to you. They all really are related to community mm-hmm. and to just working with. The people that are around me already. Interesting. Yeah. So it's been a really nice organic w- approach, you know, and the wedding right. show that I did last weekend was actually my first foray, foray into just really cold. Putting it out there. Yeah. Like, wow. cold, like cold calling. So, so that society. was, there's a lot of this time of year, there's a lot of these wedding shows that mm-hmm. take place, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how did you choose? It's called, was I do Soto? I do Soto. Okay. And Soto, for those of you who aren't in Seattle, stands for South of the Dome, oh, which was the that. former kingdom that is now, has been blown up yeah. and now replaced by CenturyLink football field. Yeah. But that that neighborhood's name stuck. So it's south of downtown Seattle, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Kind of an industrial, gritty neighborhood. And that's why I chose that show in particular, mm-hmm. actually. I felt like that 
um, those venues would jive best with my aesthetic versus something a little more lush and romantic. Like golf course or something. Yeah. So are how many, like, were there a lot of venues involved or how did you do that? You know, I, I just had my work at one venue at the Showbox, which is a nightclub, which was really interesting because it's a venue that wouldn't normally, I mean, be where my work would be. Probably my work tends to be really natural and, um. Yeah, so it was really, it was interesting. So we were set up in the show box, and then there were a series of other venues throughout um, the The Soto District. Yeah, Yeah, and each had their own florist. So So you were associated with that venue, Mm -hmm. and then you were the only florist in that venue. Yep. Oh, wow. But that's a big space. It was. What did you have to do? I did two big wedding um, ceremony sites, Mm -hmm. so two arches, basically, and then two tables, like dining tables. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing was set up to be um, kind of like a faux wedding. Like what you would see if you attended a wedding or yeah. how, if you held a wedding in yeah. this venue. Wow. Yeah. That's a big scale then. It was. Yeah, it was a lot of work. I won't, I won't lie. And when I went to the other venues, I admired every, all the other florists' work. And that was actually one of the best things about doing the show was I got to go and introduce myself to these florists who I know through Instagram, mm. but I haven't necessarily mm-hmm. met. Or we could be at the market at the same time and not even know it right, because you're we so, don't recognize each other's yeah. faces. You yeah, know? you're so focused on your own thing or you know them through their business name. Yeah. Oh, neat. Yeah, so it was great. I got huh. to meet uh, some lo- other local florists, and they all did an amazing job. And it was a lot of work for everyone, I would Do say. You have photos of your installation at, at the sh- uh, show box? I could get in touch with the photographer who was there. Mm-hmm. She was, she hasn't given me the photos yet, but I could see if I It'd could get fun. some. It'd be yeah. fun. I know you probably, I saw you posted some on Instagram. So The lighting was tricky because the light, it's a nightclub. So they had kind of disco rock and roll lighting, which, oh, this is an interesting thing to know. Like if you're ever going to, yeah. be, I mean, it changed the color of the flowers quite a bit because they had, you know, purple over here, lights and pink over here. So, but I'm sure Mary, Mary got some good shots. So, so were you kind of there to talk to, cause people come perspective or engaged couples come through mm-hmm. these venues pretty much. That's what the whole point of it is. Mm-hmm. And they come through and, and kick the tires of all these places. Right. So did they, did people ask you questions or were you yeah. come on hand to talk to them? I was there. I was there and, uh, there to answer questions and to just kind of hobnob and, uh, made some good connections. I mm-hmm. think, you know, mm-hmm. there were, there's so many people who came through hundreds, I think wow. literally. And I felt like there were, I had some good conversations with both planners, like, um, oh, right. planners through mm-hmm. hotels in the mm-hmm. neighborhood and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And also some couples that were looking for, you know, my style of work. Interesting that they had it the Saturday or Sunday before Valentine's day. Yeah. That was pretty sweet. Yeah. Cause not every florist is available to do that too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that was that's cool. Yeah. We, would you do something like that again, or would you I recommend it to know. people? You know, I think it's interesting. I, I don't know. It's There's so many different ways to go about getting clients, mm-hmm. you know? And so for every business, I think they just need to kind of assess what is going to be the best route for them. I think that my work might not have the broad appeal that makes sense for me to throw, like, to put myself out on such a large yeah, scale. Yeah, like a full service kind of, yeah. you know, scale of, of a wedding. Yeah. Sounds like you're doing a lot of relationship-based customers or her, who, like you said, they know you, they mm-hmm. they or they've seen your work at someone else's wedding. Right. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I think that 
I think that is probably going to be my route. I'm yeah. kind of still reflecting on that. Yeah. I had a good experience and yeah. I felt good about like the whole thing. But in terms of like for my own business, if it's going to be the most successful way to build a client base, I'm not sure. I think I might just be too niche sounds mm-hmm. shishi, but like yeah. I am very I you're into it or you're not really right, with my right, work, you know? Right. So I'm not sure. I think it's good that you tried it though, because you mm-hmm. do have to kind of stretch yourself a little bit and mm-hmm. say, okay, yeah, I can do arches. I can do arbors. I yeah. can do these large scale things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're talking a little bit about your, you know, defining your business cause you're still kind of in a, you know, adolescent stage mm-hmm. of the business. And it, uh, some people, I just interviewed some people before I came to meet you who were like, we don't have an aesthetic, we do everything. Uh-huh. And I think, I don't think that could be said about Fortunate Orchard or Hannah Morgan. I mean, you have, yeah. you have uh, kind of found the look that, that represents your philosophy, I would imagine. I think so. Yeah. It, well, how do you describe it? <laughs> yeah, how do I describe it? I mean, I definitely do love doing big installations and like doing the arches was super fun, I have yeah. to say. I don't get a chance to do that a lot. So that was one of the lovely things. But um, my work is very natural, very seasonal, and I love to find beauty in unexpected places. Mm-hmm. So I love that when you place a yellowing leaf next to I don't know a yellow flower mm-hmm. like the, the finding that synergy there mm-hmm. where if you found that yellowing leaf in nature you might not catch your eye but when it's juxtaposed next to something else it pops I those sort of relationships I really love to play with and just to find like for the arch uh, that I did one of the arches I did for I do Soto I use red cryptomeria which mm. is this crazy fuzzy blushy evergreen right and you would never normally find that in a wedding arch and it was so fun i paired it with these like pink romantic antique am i saying that right uh-huh. yeah garden roses oh my gosh and uh it was outrageous and it was gorgeous i loved it, it myself. sounds it sounds almost like um tea stained and vintage when you yeah. talk about those colors yeah. the, those plummy red faded plummy colors red, that's it. Yeah. yeah it was so beautiful and so finding those sorts of relationships and putting them together in unexpected ways I love doing that in my mm-hmm. work and I think that the people who gravitate towards my work tend to be people who love the outdoors who love gardening who love plants it's a very natural um arrangement yeah my work they're not picking at something off of a, a website and saying i want six of these for my magic matching not. bridesmaids yeah, yeah yeah um and you you did before we started recording you mentioned that you have some weekly accounts that i was i think i jumped to the conclusion that they were private homeowners but are, is that right or are they more of the businesses no yeah i don't have any private homeowners okay. yet but i would love that but yeah businesses i have um and a couple of offices and then primarily restaurants. Mm. And they're the ones that you're kind of train swapping out the different bases for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. part of your that's part of the presentation. Yeah, it's so fun. I love going to both local artists who make ceramics or um, cool vessels that you would normally find on a floral supply shelf. Right. And also, of course, Goodwill and places like that and finding yeah. cool stuff. Yeah. And so the advantage of when you have an account, you'll be back to pick it up. So you can both buy pieces that are perfect for the space that you've become familiar with, mm. and then you can swap it out. And so that also is a big part of the arrangement. It's the whole presentation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. I think that makes it so personal when it's <clears throat> not... I mean, your eye can tell when it's one of the mass produced 
bases. There's some they've gotten so much better, and there's some really cool ones out there. But your eye knows. Yeah. And when it's something that's actually been either handmade or hand picked or is just one of a kind, mm-hmm. you can tell, and it's really lovely mm-hmm. and it counts. Yeah. And do you that. charge a rental fee for that, or is it just part of the? I don't. Yeah, the whole it's just package. Part of the part yeah. of the service. So um, now I'm going to have to get a list of all the restaurants that you have arranged and set so I can follow you yeah, around town. absolutely. You have a new uh, gig that you just did for a restaurant. You know, you've been posting a lot on Instagram or yeah. a, enough that maybe because I started following the restaurant too. Oh. So I'm seeing their posts. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Can you talk a little bit about that? This is Florette. Yeah. Yeah. So Florette just opened at SeaTac Airport and I'm very excited for all the travelers who get to have much more elevated cuisine experience because of it. So, Where is it at the airport? Oh gosh, it's it's by Delta. I think okay. it's in the A terminal. Okay. I don't fly very. I'm much flying actually. in a couple of weeks. I'll go oh, check good. it out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's right off the main concourse. Okay, yeah, you'll find but it. But through security. Yep, through okay. security. Okay, unfortunately. So so this is like the like the little um, offspring of Cafe Flora mm-hmm. in Madison Valley mm-hmm. that is. Well, a fabulous vegetarian restaurant. Yes, right? yes. Okay, and so, it's a beautiful space. They really went outside of the box of typical airport uh, restaurant design. It's got gorgeous wallpaper and really beautiful signage, and you feel like you're in a cafe, you know, in Capitol Hill. It's not really, this stressful airport. Totally, and yeah. you're surrounded by tropical plants. Yeah, so you did planting design more than floral design for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we did. It was really fun. And it was something I did initially, actually, at Flint Creek, which is over in Greenwood in, okay. this, in Seattle. Oh. And so I do their plants. And I, that's how I started with this plant thing, which I was very reticent about. <laughs> but Christy Donnelly, who's the owner of Flint Creek with her husband, Eric Donnelly, who's the chef, she, I had done the flowers at Rock Creek, which is their other restaurant, and they, when they opened Flint Creek, she just insisted that I do the plants, and she's very convincing, and mm. I, I don't do plants. And, but now you do. Lo and behold, yeah, <laughs> and now, yeah, that was about a year and a half ago, and their plants, I take care of them every week, and they look great, and I was like, you know, why don't I do plants? So this is something that people need help with, yeah. you know, and so I've opened my heart to, you know, doing the plants. And it's, you know, it's like anything. You learn as you go. And that's one thing, you know, Christy was so supportive and insistent and supportive. Like, you can do this. You've got this. It makes you bold because you think, well, you know, she says so, you know. And right. so I learned as I went. And How it cool. was successful. And then when it wasn't successful, it wasn't a big deal. We just replaced it. And she was totally understanding. And, you know, it's like how I was able to build my skills with Lark, mm-hmm. you know, doing floral arranging mm-hmm. and learning what's going to last and what's not with with uh, Flint Creek I was able to you know develop that develop, yeah. Yeah, develop my knowledge about about interior plants so well, I'm doing that for Florette now and it's been it's been great what is the trick though for because you think about a vase of cut flowers and cut botanicals yes a week is kind of the rule of thumb for mm-hmm. restaurants what it what are the things to think about when doing planting design because they're mm-hmm. interiors it's not mm-hmm. A greenhouse, so you have to pick what, like low light plants and that sort of thing. Yeah, it depends on the space. Like in Flint Creek, they get great light, and so it depends. You have to look at the light of where every single plant is. Mm -hmm. Really, if they're in one container, it's tricky. You have to think about their water needs and try to plant like with like. Yeah, like a garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's a lot like a garden. Hmm. And then you know, just for visuals, looking at the different textures and height, how fast is this plant going to grow? Um, yeah, it's a lot like a garden. You're it's gonna, like growing a, a border. Yeah, a you're going to become this foliage expert. I, 
<laughs> I know. Even though you're probably using some flowering plants, right? You know, the things that work really well in the spaces I've worked so far aren't really flowering. Although I do feel especially excited when they do start to bud. Like some of the plants that you just see around all the time, but you never see them bud. But then when I feel like that's like this mark of success, like oh, yeah, it thinks it's, exactly. it thinks it's in Hawaii. It's happy. <laughs> yeah. And most of the, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but I would imagine that most of the sourcing, <clears throat> excuse me, for potted plants tends to be Washington grown um, or, I mean, Oregon grown maybe. these <clears throat> The nursery industry seems to be pretty local. I think actually, yeah, I, I bought mine through Cascade Tropicals and I think they get from Florida and California. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they mm-hmm. source and Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah I think because it, there's probably, there's probably a lot that has to do with whatever USDA is allowing into the country uh-huh. too. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Um, well, that's really fun. I would love to share some of those photos too. Um, I want to talk about how you got to become a florist and what your background is. And I know a little bit about it because you mentioned that you and Ann Bradfield from Florescence went to art school together. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's another florist who's been on this podcast. Um, how how where, how did you start out? Like, what was your medium in in fine art before you came to flowers so long ago yeah I have a printmaking degree oh, oh which I've thought of that yeah I, I loved it too it was a lot of fun going to art school is really fun for four plus years you get to just make art and learn and learn how to look at things and look how look at the world through these eyes and then you um graduate and then you become a, a waitress and mm. then <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. which is the other part of my floral career how but, you got into restaurants how i got into the food service yeah. that's right but yeah so i do have a, a degree in art and have always made things uh from the get-go yeah and when i had my first daughter i was doing a lot of printmaking and that was my first foray into business ownership i had a card company actually oh, wow. for a couple of years until you know, motherhood just became the priority. Um, So yeah, I think one thing that is a similar approach between the printmaking work I did and the floral work I did is that printmaking is a very, um, is egalitarian the right word? It's available to everyone. Mm -hmm. It's not that you're making one oil painting that's going to sit on a wall and, you know, no one can afford to buy it. Printmaking is very accessible and that Mm -hmm. was one of the reasons I was drawn to it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have my art away. I wanted it to be in people's hands. Mm -hmm. I wanted people to enjoy it Mm -hmm. on the daily. And I I found that that parallel with floral design because Mm -hmm. that is something I really want, especially in this coming year, to explore more is how to get flowers and you know growing things into people's lives just on a daily basis yeah you know it's so essential yeah at the holiday time I do a lot of work with um, garland and with wreaths and everyone when I deliver them or I can them over so happy and they festoon their homes and it's such a lovely time and myself thinking why aren't we doing this in May <laughs> or November or anytime you know it's just it's I'm gonna spend some time thinking about that this year like how to create a product that is something that people can afford to have more frequently or and that, that or, or or just prioritize, prioritize their their disposable income mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. oh I love that and I you know it's that whole ad, old adage about how long will these flowers last and you know we know what the answer should be and you know possibly you'll integrate living plants and maybe that's mm-hmm. maybe that's a way to 
I don't know, extend that. Right, it's an interesting that nature idea. idea. Yeah. But you know, when you were talking about the the yellowing leaf and the yellow flower, in my mind, I was thinking I had this graphic image of those two elements, and so it totally makes sense. I forgot you had done printmaking, but you have this obs- you have this observational approach of putting colors and shapes together in printmaking that you're now. That's you know, true. employing in three-dimensional yeah. floral design, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I do definitely try to look at them abstractly. Like, don't think of it as a, you know... A tulip. A, exactly, yeah. as a specific thing. Look at its shape, look at its color. Look at this other thing's shape and this color. Although the gardener in me does insist on a certain seasonality. Yes. It really bugs me if I see two out-of-season flowers next to each other. It just makes me like, eh. if that's, a, that's the gardener in me. Yeah. I think that is not truth. I just had this conversa- conversation with someone earlier this week. I can't remember who it was, but we was sort of this, why, you know, what has happened with the disconnect with nature? And I we speculated that if you don't come from a gardening background, gardening family, or have any connection with it, you don't really know what's what is seasonally appropriate or not, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. because That's we true. have had this sort of, you know, all things available at all times, uh, American consumerism. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, yeah, it's just, we've lost that yeah. awareness. Yeah, so, that's an excellent point. Yeah, so you have to kind of get your clients back to that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and speaking of that, you are teaching, and I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I've heard about this. What's it called? The Field Trip Society? The Field Trip Society. Okay. Is it just in Seattle? a fan. It is just in Seattle. Okay. So describe what it is. So the Field Trip Society, (laughs) Cambria started, Cambria Cox started it, I would say, probably a year and a half or two years ago. It's still pretty new. She just had her 100th field trip. Oh, wow. Yeah. You should definitely look it up if you haven't Oh, yeah. We'll put links to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. She would love that. Yeah. So she um, is the mastermind behind it, but... A variety of classes that the angle of, of the Field Trip Society is having you as an adult have these experiences that perhaps as a parent or as a mother, you know, you signed your kids up for all of these enriching activities, mm-hmm. but you're just sitting there on the bench waiting, you know, while they have their new life experience. Right, right. So her angle is looking at through the lens of, no, this is for you as an adult to try to learn her um, motto is Semper Quarens, always curious. Oh, I love it. So she actually was another person in the early days who was convincing me that I was a florist <laughs> and that I did have something to teach people. So a couple of years ago, it was really right as I was starting my business, she um, enrolled, she she got me to teach a class and it was so fun. And actually that was really was the very beginning because I was just beginning to learn about slow flowers and I had said to Cambria, what am I going to say to people? I don't know. And then... Then I realized, oh, this is something I can teach people about, oh, like fabulous. slow flowers. And yeah. that was a, a, a big part of my presentation. And then also she was an early person who pointed out, you have an art degree. That is relevant to what yes. you're doing. Yes. Whereas I was like, I don't see the... I don't see that. Right. But she was, she saw it early on, so I'm, I'm grateful to her for that. You're surrounded with these people who are giving you permission to be the artist that you are. You're right. All these women. You're right. Not just men, but I mean, not just not just women. There's men too, but yeah, I love My that. My husband Owen is amazing. Okay, but no, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. It you're you know, it's great having opportunity to sit and kind of talk about this and reflect because I was really I was on a different track, mm-hmm. and I think. 
Actually, yeah. I mean, I have another friend who is an artist, uh, who's a mosaic artist, and I think motherhood has something to do with mm-hmm. it. I think I'm, my kids are now 15 and 12, and I'm just coming out of that phase where they're really up to my neck in parenting yeah. and I'm projecting onto other growing humans. <laughs> and I think that I'm like just getting to be self-reflective again. Yeah. Um, but it, it takes a lot as an artist to call yourself that. To give yourself permission to call yourself an artist because it sounds so, um, you know, luxurious and superfluous Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, but what do you Mm -hmm. do? Right. So it's an interesting point. Uh, Yeah. I think that's so interesting because I I, I think also in in my background is in the gardening world Mm -hmm. and I have said this before, so I hope it's not redundant, but the, there was a period in time in gardening and horticulture, probably after 9-11, where um, ornamental horticulture was considered like completely uh, uh, unnecessary and unserious and uh, frivolous. Mm. And so it, it's like everything in my world, in book publishing, in magazines, in, in garden center retail, if you weren't pushing edibles, which was mm. essential, mm-hmm. then you were just a slacker. And mm-hmm. it took me a long time to not feel guilty about not wanting to grow a tomato, uh-huh. you know? And like, I want to grow up. A beautiful, beautiful dahlia. I could care less about growing a beautiful tomato because right. I have great CSAs at my yes. fingertips. Yes. But you you have to give yourself permission to say, well, this is my calling and my or whatever my inner drive, mm-hmm. and hopefully people will catch up with that. And, yeah, you know, not think. Well, back to floral, we think it's essential. So yeah, yeah. Um, are you teaching with Field Trip Society in two thousand eighteen? I we are just starting to talk about maybe doing a Mother's Day class. Ooh. And we've done a fall uh, class a couple of times, fall flowers, which Mm. is fun because it's not a typical time. Right. And that's where you really get to have a lot of fun with foliage and different colors. So a couple of things maybe down the pike. Where do you teach though? Are you teaching in your garden? No, she uses different spaces. Okay. Actually both, no, one of my classes, a couple of my classes were at Lark. Okay. They have a mezzanine space with a lot of generous table space. So that was where we did a couple. And then, yeah. And then I did one at the Audubon Society here in our neighborhood, Seward Park. Oh yeah. We have this gorgeous 1920s building. Right next to the playground? Yeah. It was so fun. Oh, I've never been in there. Oh, it's beautiful. They have this gorgeous fireplace and this was the wreath class. So we had the fire roaring and all of the beautiful greens wow. from Leo's trees. Wow. So was, yeah, it was so fun. I so, think that was like a conservation core building or yeah, know, works project was. building. Yeah, yeah but they use it, it's rental now, so oh. check it out. It's beautiful. Oh, in interesting. There. Yeah. I love that. Well, sorry, we're so insiderish on our <laughs> Seattle talk. Locals. Yeah. Um, I just love that you have this philosophy about local and that you've you've kind of evolved your business to fit that and you haven't had to it sounds like you don't feel like you're having to compromise, um, at, you know, maybe just in the way you communicate yeah. through your website or to potential clients. They they come to you for your philosophy, mm-hmm. not in spite of, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. And I'm definitely trying to cultivate that without being, you know, standoffish and, mm-hmm. and exclusion-y. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like so strongly that floral work is an art form and there is a florist for everyone you Mm -hmm. know and I all the time I'm saying I'll walk into the growers market and see Jessica Grings work sitting on the counter like I know 
from Odd Flowers. I know Jessica made that. I look at it, I know she made it. It's gorgeous. I would never make that. Not because I wouldn't want to. It would never occur to me. Yeah, it's just the way her brain works. Yeah, yeah. with Anne at Fluorescence. Mm. Or, uh, you know, if I look at Kelly Sullivan's work, Botanique. I love her work. I can look on my Instagram feed and recognize it immediately, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so there is a florist for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think any of us need to compromise if we don't want to, mm-hmm. because that is the beauty. There needs to be someone like me to fulfill the dream of that bride or that person who wants flowers, you know? And there needs to be someone like Anne for that bride right. and someone like Kelly for that bride. And so it's really, there's room for all of it. And if we were all doing the same thing, then that would be so boring and well, all of those unsatisfied customers <laughs> yeah and you get into this situation where you're kind of having to compete on price rather mm. than on aesthetic mm-hmm. or value That's so true. um no i love that idea yeah. well this has been so much fun yes I, I could talk to you forever so before we turn off the recorder is there anything i didn't ask you that you want to include and want to share with people maybe what's cooking for 2018 or um Advice for newbies who are listening, because you're not too far from being a newbie. I'm not too far from being a newbie, and I would love to help out anybody who wants to have any sort of inside look on what a couple of years in looks like, because <laughs> it's kind of overwhelming at first. It's all so unfamiliar, but the learning curve is short. I have a couple of meetings set up this month, actually, with some people who are just kicking off their businesses, mm. and they reached out to me, and I'm so glad they did. Mm. I think I don't have much That's to good. say, and yeah, I just want to keep building community. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's here in Seattle, but I feel like there are these pockets of community happening all over the U.S., yeah. and I and in England, and I, Instagram is can be... Instagram can be problematic, but it also is an amazing uh, view into these worlds yeah. of all these different people that are doing exciting things all over. So I think just keep building community yeah. and yeah. keep working together with your little tribe and uh, you know connect with other tribes throughout the U.S. and keep uh, you know, yeah. the vision strong. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think that hyper-regionalism is really... Um, it's, it's an antidote to mass production of, mm-hmm. in every way. And mm-hmm. so when even the women who you've mentioned today, I know I can picture everyone in your orbit and how you're all connected. And you're probably referring business back and forth to mm-hmm. each other. Um, it's not a formal networking thing at all. It's just more like naturally wanting to make sure a customer gets what they want. And if you can't do it, finding another florist who can help that absolutely yeah yeah absolutely well thank you so much hannah this has been wonderful and i'm so excited we can share photos of your your beautiful work and your projects and your social places so people can find you and um if they come to seattle they might just run into you at the seattle wholesale growers market some morning absolutely give me a call (laughs) this has been so fun thank you thanks a lot
Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast has been downloaded more than 285,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Please take a moment and visit our new website for the upcoming Slow Flowers Summit, which takes place Friday, June 29th in Washington, D.C. We're already selling tickets, lining up sponsors, and special guests, and you won't want to miss out on what one of our past speakers calls a floral mind meld. Check out links in today's show notes or just head over to slowflowersummit.com. I'd love to have you attend. As the Slow Flowers movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too, and I value your support. You're invited to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button at deborahprincing.com in the right column. Thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all of our programs, including this podcast, American Flowers Week, the slowflowers.com online directory to American grown flowers, as well as our new channels, the Slow Flowers Journal and the 2018 Slow Flowers Summit. They are Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit AmericanGrownFlowers.org. Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.